0: today. Uh, it's part of chapter 15, and Chris is going to come up and read to us.
1: Yeah, uh, the reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 12 to 34. If you're following along in one of these, uh, it's on page 1,156. So 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 34. And in these Bibles, it's on page 1156. You can obviously read it on there too. (laughs) (laughs) But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he stands over the kingdom to hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those who are baptized for the, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ our, Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we will die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame.
0: Good morning, everybody. Let me just pray before we come to God's word. Father, we thank you so much for the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus. Father, we come in Jesus' name this morning, knowing that he is alive, knowing that he's at your right hand interceding for us. And Father, we come and we just thank you that we have your word. We thank you that we have a clear voice of prophecy from heaven itself in your word. But Father, we're very conscious that, Lord, we need your help and your spirit to help us. And so, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask you to come and help us this morning. Lord, we thank you that you know how we have come. You know our hearts. You know the burdens. You know the cares. You know the concerns. You know the joys. But Lord, whatever our need and whatever our state this morning, Lord, we ask you to give us a word that would be helpful to us. May your words speak into our hearts, Lord. May you come and do us good, Lord. And may we have praise and worship in our hearts to you. So, Father, we cast ourselves upon you. We need your blessing. If we do not receive your blessing, Lord, we might as well go home now lord we are desperate for your blessing we can't concoct this lord we can't work this up but lord we ask for your blessing in jesus name and we ask you to hear us not because we deserve blessing but because we need blessing and because we do ask for it in jesus name hear us for his sake lord and may you have the glory amen Well, we're back in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. And uh, I don't know whether you're surprised about this chapter. And uh, because these people at Corinth, and Simon's told us a little bit about what Corinth was like as a place, but these people at Corinth are trusted in the Lord Jesus. They had believed that he died for them and that he rose for them. And Paul reminds them of these things right at the beginning of this chapter in the first few verses. He says, I remind you of this gospel uh, which saves you. And they they knew something of this. But the fact is these Christians at Corinth seem very confused. They were not clear. They seemed to know that Jesus had died for them, but somehow they were very mixed up about whether they would be resurrected. They sort of believed Jesus had risen from the dead, but they didn't seem to be at all clear. And in fact, perhaps that's surprising in our culture, But if you think about their culture, perhaps it's not quite so surprising. Because a large part of Greek thought and philosophy was, well, the body doesn't matter. Material things are evil. It's the spiritual things which are good. So some people said, well yeah, you can believe in God and live as you like, because the body doesn't matter. And Paul counteracts that all the way through. Some were sort of thinking that the whole idea of a resurrected body was repugnant because they considered the body was a sort of a tomb to which their soul was shackled. And although they might have believed in the immortality of the soul, they strongly resisted the idea of the resurrection. You know, even in the Gospels, there's a whole group of people, even in Israel, the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. And they came to Jesus with a story about a woman who got married seven times to each of the brothers in a family. So this idea of a resurrected body was a bit of a strange idea for some of these people. And the Corinthian believers, yes, they'd heard this message, Jesus had died, risen again, they'd sort of got that, but actually that that didn't quite work out in their thinking about, well where does that leave us? Paul says in those first three verses in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says it's of first importance that Christ died for us, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. These are priorities. These are key things. It's what Paul preached. It's what the Corinthians believed But how did this work out? And there's some confusion. And from verse 13 down to uh, verse 19, Paul gives a whole load of reasons why the resurrection of the body, not just Christ's body, but the human body, the believer's body, must happen. He, he says in verse, 13, uh, verse 12, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul's saying logically, look, if you don't believe a body can be raised, then not even Christ has been raised. It's his physical body that was raised wasn't a spirit that was raised when Jesus rose from the dead. It was the same body that hung on the cross. And Paul says, how can you say there's no resurrection? If you say that, then not even Christ could be raised from the dead. And he says, verse 14, if that's the case, if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless. We might as well pack up and go home. Preaching's an absolute waste of time, he says. And more than that, he says, not only is our preaching useless, verse 14, your faith is useless. It's a waste of time, you believing. He he repeats that again at the end of this argument because he goes round in a circle on this. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Absolute waste of time. All this religious stuff, all this believing stuff, all this Bible stuff, it's insignificant if Christ has not been raised. And he says, more than that, verse 15, he says, it makes me a liar. In fact, everyone who preaches the gospel, he says, it's a lie. He says, we're false witnesses of God. We're saying God's done this, and if he hasn't, then we're lying. And worst of all, the end of verse 17 not only is your faith futile, you are still in your sins. If there is no resurrection, you are not forgiven. (laughs) This is big stuff. This is big stuff, isn't it? If there's no resurrection, you cannot be forgiven. It's... Why? Because sin is... Death is the wages of sin. And so if death is not conquered, sin still reigns. The fact that Christ has risen from the dead means that he's conquered death and that settled the debt of sin. Resurrection is so important in terms of forgiveness. And verse 18. And those who have died, those believers that have died, well, they're all lost. They've gone. Never going to see them again. And verse 19. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men to be pitied. We are to be pitied more than anyone. When you get down later in the chapter, verse 29, Paul raises two further objections. He, he says, if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? Talk about that in a few minutes. And, uh, and then he says in verse 30, and why do we put ourselves in danger? Why do I risk my life every day if the resurrection's not true. What a stupid fool he is! Not only is the most pitiable person, you know, um, but to actually risk your life? um, No, Paul sums it all up with a conclusion. Um, If the dead are not raised, the end of verse 32. This is after his fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, if this isn't true, let's have a good time. Hedonism, the, the pursuit of personal pleasure and gratification, makes perfect sense. If this is all there is to life, if there's nothing more, If this is it, Paul says, let's eat and drink and have a good. Let's have a big party. Let's make the most of this, folks, while we can. But of course, as Paul says in verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Resurrection is true. It's absolutely true. (coughs) The certainty of our resurrection, I've said, as my first little point, because Christ has been raised, our resurrection is absolutely certain and sure. I was going to use um, a football illustration this morning. Unfortunately, It was based on Manchester City winning their match yesterday. (laughs) They were turning up at half time. They lost three. Do we have many football fans here? Oh, there's a lot of people that are not football fans. a lot of people not football fans. Well, let me tell you the good news, if you're not a football fan. The good news is, the football season ends on May the 13th. (laughs) The bad news is, The Football World Cup starts on June the 14th. (laughs) (laughs) The certainty of our resurrection. Our resurrection is absolutely certain because Jesus has been raised. And in fact, at the beginning of this chapter, we've looked at this. The evidence for this the people that saw him. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time. This wasn't hallucination um, or anything like that. It wasn't apparition. For 500 people to see the risen Lord at one time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And then Paul says, he appeared to me. Paul says, I've seen him. And they didn't just see him. You know what Jesus said to Thomas? Put your finger in there. He says, Put your finger in there, Thomas. They saw the holes in his hands. Do you see it's the same body? Paul says, We know what we're talking about. That's what John writes in his first letter. He says, What was from the beginning? What we've heard? What we've seen? We know what we're talking about. And John says, we've seen this with our eyes. We've seen him with our eyes. And we declare him to you. They knew who they were talking about. Why was I going to talk about Manchester City? Because if they had have won yesterday, and bear in mind, the football season doesn't end until May the 13th they would have been the premiership champions. As it is, they've still got to win one more match. But the point is, we haven't got to the end of the season yet. There's over a month to go, but they are the champions, or will be, if they win one more match. And what that means is, it doesn't matter what happens between now and the end of the season, if they get that one more victory, they can lose every other match 20 nil. But they'll still be the champions. Nothing will affect it once they get that number of points because it will have been achieved. And the point is this. Your resurrection is certain because it's not dependent on what happens between now and the end. It's dependent on what Christ has already done. He's already done the job. Therefore, nothing can fix it, can change it. In his second letter, Paul says this, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into God's presence. It can't be stopped. And brothers and sisters, you need to be encouraged. I don't know whether you watch the news much. Some of the news is pretty depressing, isn't it? It's pretty depressing. Doesn't matter where you look in the world. But, you know, in terms of the big scheme of things, you don't have to worry about nuclear war or global, global warming um, or the Black Death or any illness that becomes resistant to antibiotics that's going to wipe masses of people out. We don't have to worry about what Putin's going to do or Trump. We don't even have to worry about Brexit or the EU in the big scheme of things. God will get us where we need to be because God is in control and Christ is on the throne and he will get us there. And we know because Christ has risen. For those that are in Christ Jesus, ultimately all will be well. That's why Paul says to the Romans, who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness we will be raised. We will be resurrected. Your body is important. And notice what Christ is is called here. Christ is called, in verse 20, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. The firstfruits is almost the guarantee of the full harvest. The first fruits, in fact, is incomplete without the full harvest. But it's the taste, it's the indication. The harvest is on its way. And Christ is the first fruits. And every one of God's people are going to come with him. We must be raised from the dead because God's harvest must be completed. The second thing I want you to notice, apart from the certainty of our resurrection, I want you to notice what I've called the sovereign of our resurrection. The king, verse 21 and 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all die will be made alive. Adam was God's king to rule over the earth. He put him here to reign. And we all know the story and we've gone through it recently. Adam failed in that job. And Christ comes as the second Adam. You know, Adam and Christ are very special. They are the only two people that have ever walked this earth that didn't have a human father. In the genealogy, I think in Matthew's account, Adam is called the Son of God. He was made of dust, but he was made directly by God. And Christ is the Son of God. This is the man from heaven. The difference is that when Adam came, Adam brought death. Because he was told the day that he ate of that tree, he would die. Life was taken away through Adam, but when Christ comes, Christ comes to bring life. At the end of this chapter, verse 45, it says, The first man, Adam, became a living being, made of dust, The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus comes to restore what Adam lost. And more than that, Paul says to Timothy, now has been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ came to bring life. And verse 22 tells us, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now let me just stop there for a moment and clarify something. What do you think those words mean? In Christ all will be made alive there are some people that have taught on the basis of that verse that that means everyone will be saved. Everyone will become a Christian. Everyone will be rescued because it says in Christ all will be made alive. Now, let me say it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. It's important to understand that both Adam and Christ are representative men. They represent a certain group of people. Um, I put a quote on your notes from John MacArthur. He said, One man doing one act caused the consequences of that act to be applied to every other person identified with him. In other words, Adam did one thing and that affects everybody that's associated with him. In Adam, all die. And the fact that we have all come from Adam, we are all descendants of Adam, means that we all die. Death is the common thing to everybody. In other words, What Adam did affects all of us that are represented by him. But in just the same way, what Christ did in dying from our sins and rising from the dead counts for all those that he represents. So it's not everybody, but it's those that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our Bible says, In Adam all die, in Christ, all will be made alive. The question is, are you in Christ? Have you trusted Christ to save you? Is he your king? Does he represent you? And if you have trusted Christ, then that verse applies to you. Acts 17 says that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Through Adam, we are all sinners. But if we are in Christ, we are made alive. And we don't just receive that forgiveness of sins through his shed blood, but we share in that resurrection. Uh, Perhaps this can be summed up with a verse from Romans 5, verse 19. Just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one uh, the many will be made righteous. How wonderful this is that Christ has done what Adam failed to do, and he reverses that process. Adam brought death, Christ brings life, and he is now the sovereign king um, of our resurrection. And the last little thing is the sequence of resurrection, a uh, sequence of our resurrection. <coughs> Verse 22. As in Adam, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his turn. There's an order. There's a sequence. Uh, That means there's a plan. God has a plan. Uh, Sometimes there are plans and they're not quick enough for me. Do you find that sometimes at home? Uh, That's true for my wife as well. In fact... She's probably more frustrated with uh, the slowness of her plans coming through um, than what, what, what I am. But God has a plan, and there's an order, and there's a sequence. Each in turn. Whose turn is it first? It's Christ, the first fruits. The plan starts with his resurrection. He's the start of the harvest. What's the next bit? Then, step two, when he comes. (laughs) You know Jesus is coming? You know he's coming? He is coming, you know? Not like the rain I thought was coming yesterday. Jesus is coming. And when he comes... those who belong to him. In other words, the resurrection of believers. This is what Paul says to Timothy uh, to the Thessalonians because, again, there's a process here. The Lord himself. I like that. This is the same Lord. It's the Lord with the hands in his, in his hands. The Lord himself. He's not sending an angel. This is the Lord Jesus. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, the believers that have gone, they're going to go up first. And I guess those of us that are here alive are going to see them go up. Their bodies will come out of the graves. Graveyards are going to be a very exciting place to be when the Lord comes. It will be incredible. It will be amazing. The dead in Christ will come out of the graves. Their spirits, their bodies will come out. Their bodies will be raised. The same body, that the worms of eaten. He's going to be put back together. But it won't be full of maggots and wormholes. It's going to be changed. Oh, we get this later in Corinthians. I'm jumping the gun here. We're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. But it's what's going to happen. The dead will be raised, those that have died in Christ. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Folks, there's no ifs, buts, maybes, might be's here at all. This is done and dusted. If City had got the three points last night, the premiership would have been done and dusted. Nothing can affect it. It doesn't matter what North Korea does with its rockets and missiles or what China does or what Russia does or what America does. Nothing can change these wonderful, glorious facts. The dead of Christ are going to rise, and we are going to be raised. We're going to be changed. And we're going to be like the Lord Jesus, and we're going to be with Him forever. Christ comes. To rule and to reign. I'm not going to pinch somebody's thunder from the end of chapter 15 because it all links in. You just go home and read 1 Corinthians 15. And probably Ben's book touches on this as well, the whole chapter, but it's all there. And this is the point. Then the end will come when Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything be put under his feet, it's clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Christ returns. He defeats all his enemies. He conquers everything. He subdues everything. He is king over everything. He succeeds where Adam failed. Adam was to rule and to reign over the earth. He failed. Christ comes. Christ succeeds. And at the end, he submits all of that to his father. And you might think it's strange that Christ is submitted to to his father. Because Christ is God. But what you have to remember as well is that Christ is the second Adam. He's a man as well as God. And it seems to me, as God's man on earth, he submits everything to his Father. And God will be all in all. There's a sequence here. And no doubt there's questions about that sequence that I'm not going to deal with this morning. But it's all there. The key thing for you to know is, That if you're a Christian, you're going to be raised from the dead. Well, okay, just before we finish, what does that mean? Paul says it means two key things. And in fact, it's important because in Thessalonians, Paul said, talking about the resurrection, just after those words we read, he says, comfort one another with these words. This teaching about resurrection should comfort us. Um... Just before I deal with these two points, let me say something about verse 29. If there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? I have to tell you, I don't know what this means. And I don't think anybody really knows what this verse means. I can tell you what it doesn't mean. it does not mean that you can do anything for the salvation of someone who's died. There's nothing you can do in this life for someone who's passed into the next one. It doesn't mean that. The problem with this verse is, the, so the word uh, that we have there, um, who are baptised for the dead, that word for has umpteen different meanings. So it can mean instead of, but it can mean because of, or it, it can mean lots and lots of different things. And there have been all sorts of explanations of this verse. And the fact is nobody knows really what this means. And so I'm not even going to have a... St- I can tell you some of the things that people say about it, but that's not particularly helpful. All I would say is this does not teach that you can do anything for, the, for people that have died. And what's really important is you cannot base any doctrine on verse 29. You cannot build something out of that one verse. You need two or three witnesses for any teaching that you're going to have. But you might want to talk about that afterwards. I don't know. But um, I want to give you two applications from this teaching about resurrection. Because this is wonderful theory, isn't it? You think, oh yeah, great. Oh yeah, that, that's a nice thought. That That's coming. It's in the future. We don't know when, you know. Well, so what? Well, actually, the so what for Paul was pretty big. Look at what he says in verse 30. He says if there's no resurrection, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. He talks about fighting with wild beasts. Some people even think that there could be a literal element to that as well as a metaphorical element. The point is, The resurrection was what spurred Paul on in his living for the Lord Jesus. In other words, folks, we don't just live for today. We don't just live for ourselves. We don't just live for this life. Paul says, I press on towards the mark of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says to depart and be with Christ is far, far better than anything here. Oh, it might be good here. There's some good stuff here. Don't get me wrong. There's some great stuff here. But the best is yet to come. Paul says, I'm looking for the finishing line. That's where I'm looking. Folks, if you want to live your Christian life, it's no good you looking at the here and now we have to look at the here and now. We, we can't sort of abdicate our lives. But we have to look here and then as well. We have to have uh, this dual vision, if you like. We need these sort of bifocals. I suppose very-focals, big time, you know? So we we, we keeping it all in perspective. And Paul says, this was a massive... Uh, reason for him he says if I fought with wild beasts every day what's the point if there's no resurrection what on earth am I doing risking my life it's stupid he says every day do you know what he says he says to the Corinthians in his second letter he says we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus sake Every day, he said, I'm crucified with Christ so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. And if you get into chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he tells you five times he received, he received 39 lashes from the Jews. That was the maximum number. Well, 40 was the maximum. They did 39 in case they miscounted because they didn't want to break the law and do 41. Five times, people died from that sometimes. It used to rip people's internal organs out, being lashed with those whips. Five times he got that. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. And he goes on. What's the point? Resurrection should change our perspective, folks. He should give you a reason for getting up tomorrow morning. He should give you a reason for getting through tomorrow when the kids are kicking off and, you know, the dog's been sick all over the carpet and, you know, the wheels fell off the car, you know, and what more can happen when, you know, and I say when those things happen, I say, I don't need this and my wife often reminds me, well, God thinks you do. And, uh, but we have to keep that focus. Resurrection. It's also an incentive for sanctification. Look what he says, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Uh, It's really interesting. I didn't know Ben was announcing the book on friendship this morning. It's based on Proverbs. Proverbs. I was reading Proverbs this morning. You see, and time and again in Proverbs, you get this. That the wise man keeps company with wise people, godly people. If you keep company with foolish people, and by that, I think Proverbs means the ungodly, because the fool says in his heart there is no God. He says that will have a negative impact on your life. Bad company Corrupt, good character. Who you mix with has a big impact on how your life shapes out. That doesn't mean you never mix with ungodly people, because you have to. But you don't just mix and join in with everything that people do willy-nilly. You might do it consciously, deliberately, but you must keep your eyes on the Lord. So bad company corrupts good character. And I guess this book on friendship will say the opposite. Good friendship will help to build good character. That's what we want. And then Paul says, come back to your senses. Wake up. Stop sinning. Your life needs to change folks. You're going to be resurrected. You're going to be with the Lord. You're going to be like the Lord. Be like him now. Why? Because there are some who are ignorant of God. We are surrounded by people ignorant of God. How are they going to hear? How are they going to see? Unless they see something in us. Unless they hear something from us. Let this teaching of resurrection so grab you. Get excited about it. And let this impact your life every day. Keep it in focus. You know when things do really kick off and go bad. And some days are bad, aren't they folks? I know perhaps it's worse with those that have got kids. But you know, those of us at the other end get other issues to do with old age. Not young age, but we all get stuff kicking off. We need to keep this focus because our lives are witnessing and there are people who are in the dark around us. What do they see when they look at you? What do they see when they look at you when your life's going pear-shaped? It's a strong message that we preach by the way we are, the way we act, the way we respond, the things we do when things are going bad. So Paul says, wake up, come back to your senses. Be sensible, be thoughtful, be thinking. Be lifted up, thinking. that resurrection is just around the corner. Christ has been raised, it's certain. He's our king. His sequence will be followed. Nothing can stop it. It's a juggernaut coming down the track. Nothing can got stop God's plan. Let this whole thought of resurrection lift us and encourage us now for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glorious fact that Jesus is alive. And we thank you, Lord, that one day soon everyone who trusts in him will be with him, with a resurrected body, changed into his likeness, with him forever. Lord, what glorious things these are. Lift our spirits, dear God. Lift our eyes. Change our hearts. Change our lives. May we be a witness for you. Help us, dear God, we pray. In Jesus' name.
1: Amen.